Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. You are an entrepreneur, and primarily we're going to be talking to solo entrepreneurs and small business owners. 
And yet there is information there if you're a seasoned entrepreneur. What's the difference? Well, maybe that one to three year range of your business and you really want to help it accelerate, move the revenue, move the needle, move your time freedom. This is the place. We're going to talk about everything from how to brand it with the brand architect, the one and only Miss Virgilia. And I always try to say her name correctly, Virgilia, and she will correct me when she gets up here to talk in a moment when you meet her. Uh, but she said yesterday I did it close enough, so I think we're good. And then Sean James. Sean is a former football player. He is a former Ford model. And if you look at his profile picture, you'll see why. He's also a humanitarian. He has a foundation and he is a serial entrepreneur. So it's going to be as much about conversation as it is how to for you today. So I'm glad that you're with us and we'll have some mods on stage. If you have some questions and how we're going to work, we're going to have the conversation, the questions, the interview first, and then we will go to our, um, any questions that we have from our mods and any questions that you have and the audience listening, because we want to see you here. And Christy is going to be joining us shortly, Christy Buss. So in the meantime, we are going to get started. So let's think about your business. Now, people say, I'm an entrepreneur. What does that really mean? Well, most people who are entrepreneurs, they become an entrepreneur for, another, for several reasons. And one might be because they have a better idea. They have a better product. They have a better service. Sometimes they just want to be their own boss. Sometimes they have no clue how to do it, what it takes, and, and really, really who is the boss. And unless you can take control of your business, of your entrepreneurship, it will take control of you. And then it becomes a job rather than your passion, rather than what you feel is your purpose. So let's talk about, we'll talk about processes, how to get over the obstacles, how to avoid the obstacles, and what the most successful entrepreneurs have in common. So first of all, let's welcome Virgilia. Virgilia, so happy that you are with us today, as always. And because your area, you, you, you are an entrepreneur, as I said, everybody in the panel today is an entrepreneur. I want to talk about the branding aspect of being an entrepreneur. And this is something that we hear a lot about on Clubhouse, and I'm sure some of you, you've been in these rooms, and people say, well, I don't really think of myself as the brand. Oh, not so fast. Let's talk about that. So let's talk, if we can, Virgilia, your interpretation of the entrepreneurial personal brand. Thank you so much, Jude. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I believe personal brand, when we think about the impact we make in other people's lives, whether it's personally or professionally, we have to be memorable one way or another, right? It's the emotional connection, our ability to transfer value to everyone we encounter, whether it's we make them feel good about themselves, we give them a compliment, or if it's professionally related, what type of value do we add? How do we enhance their strategic partnerships, their ability? to uh, process information, their ability to take their business to the next level. So I would say the first core elements that come into the equation when it comes to building a personal brand is expertise, right? When we have expertise, we know what we talk about and we are able to articulate that carefully and beautifully in words and also through our content, through our interactions in person and on social media platforms. That would be the first core element that I would say plays, plays a key role. The second element would be creating 
credibility factor. A lot of times we he we hear you know expertise here and there, but if we don't have the credibility to kind of support the expertise that we claim, this was I would say the element that connects audiences and consumers in an unforgettable way and turns them into loyal consumers. So we have to be very careful about two factors so far: the expertise level, how we articulate and communicate that, and secondly, the credibility factor that is a support system for the expertise. The third element is our ability to add value, right? And here, value can be transferred and, and uh, in different types, right? Whether it's we offer a service, whether we offer advice, whether we are a tremendous strategic partner or we have a product. So I would say those three elements we have to pay careful attention to. When I look at social media, Jude, and I feel very particular about it, uh, sometimes I see tremendous entrepreneurs treating social media as a playground. Social media platforms are our digital business card. They should be the best face forward. They should be the best representation of who we are personally and professionally. If you are a very successful entrepreneur and I'm going to your social media platforms and I see blurry pictures and I don't understand who you are, what you stand for, right there you are losing potential customers and strategic partners. So it's very important to articulate that the way we present ourselves, the way we dress, the way we speak, and the way we present ourselves on social media platforms on our website plays a key role in um, the way people respect our personal brand and the impact that we make long term. I would say those are um, just in a nutshell a couple of thoughts. Yeah, those, those are great thoughts. And also along that line is the mind shift, entrepreneurs, the mind shift. And I work with entrepreneurs. We have a program called COBE. It's the Collaboration of Brilliant Entrepreneurs. We introduced it. We're celebrating our fifth year today. It's an in-person coaching program for, for more seasoned people, five years and up entrepreneurs. We have brick and mortar. We have uh, a variety of, of different types of industries and clientele and clients represented. And here's what I have noticed that even seasoned entrepreneurs have to do this, what we call the mind shift process. They, they oftentimes, and, and this may be you too, that you think, well, my, my services, my product is, that's the, that's the brand. That used to be how we thought, but that's not the thinking anymore. And as, as Virgilia just pointed out, particularly with social media and online, people want to know who is behind the brand. And when you think about the biggest brands, and of course, everybody always cites Steve Jobs and and. Elon Musk, but there's a reason for that. The publicity that just their names generate in terms of building the brand and the business, and that's the, that's the level that you want to achieve in your business so that you're the go-to brand. I mean, how did Apple, I know there's a lot of non-Apple uh, listeners on it. We got that algorithm worked out here on Clubhouse. But at the same time, you know, we have the Mac products, we have, you know, iPhones, and then in other words, the, uh, the Neo, whatever it was, I had one of those, I've had every version, I guess, of most of the Apple products, as most of us have. But when people stand in line to buy your product, now you may say, well, I'm not Apple, or I'm not Google, or I'm not Tesla. No, you're not. But how would you like to be known in your world to the clients that are your customer to have that go-to brand and that's how we'd like you to think about your entrepreneurial business and with that said <clears throat> let's go to our serial entrepreneur let's say that if i can twice our serial entrepreneur sean james who is also an mba i mentioned earlier former nfl football player and 
philanthropist, not philanthropist, but he has a foundation. Well, maybe you're a philanthropist too, John. We can talk about that. But I know you do a tremendous amount for humanity. You care about bullying, which has become very big. And by the way, it's not just with children. This takes place in businesses as well. So, Sean, first of all, welcome. Welcome very much to Talk With Jude segment. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Thank you, Jude. Um, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. It's always an opportunity um, when you get good people together that are really just sharing their experiences. Uh, Virgilia has been someone that has really helped me out. And I was able to hear you a few times. And it's just impactful because, you know, perceptions of what we think people are versus what we hear them say and what we what we see them do is really the most important thing in being an entrepreneur. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because when, I, when I'm coaching people for media interviews, high-level executives or, or even speakers and authors, but these high-level executives, they don't realize how much people need to see and hear them because that's about, you mentioned, you know, the, getting good people coming together, collaboration. That's all part of the process. And the more that we can learn about each other and the more that we can share our, our collective wisdom, I think is brilliant. And now, hey listeners, if you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five Five Simple Steps to an Extraordinary Morning. If you can transform your morning, you can transform your life. Head on over to themorning5.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day. Along the way, because when did you make up your mind as a, you, you got your MBA, and then how have you been able to use that in your business? Businesses. Yes. I, I mean, I think, you know, it's really about um, uh, experiences, right? And I think education is something that I always lead with. Um, to be honest with you, I will not do a deal if there's no education that's involved in any business. I feel that teaching people and giving them the know-how and giving them the insight of how to solve problems is extremely important. And if you think of the foundation of every university that started from the University of Virginia to Harvard, um, the main focus was to bring people from different cultures to really agree to disagree, but to solve problems. So I think any entrepreneur out there, um, I think me getting my MBA at one of the best schools in the country was really about status more than what I learned, um, because it does give you credibility in being able to speak about things that are important in solving problems, right? Um, that's how we get this word expert. Um, I'm, I, I would never call myself an expert, but I think when you understand that when you're an entrepreneur, um, most people don't realize that your name is on, on the front of the check, not the back. And so you have to have some expertise to be able to pay people and hire people and understand that the front of the office is just as important as the back of the office. And these are all moving parts that make great corporations. And I think people forget that companies are people. And I'll give you an example really quick. When I think of Louis Vuitton, I think of bags. No, it's a person that solves a problem and wealthy people getting on ships by putting wood slabs on his bag so they wouldn't be all over the place when they finally got to their destination. Simple problems like that made Louis Vuitton successful because he did something that no one else was doing and ultimately became a luxury brand. Um, Steve Jobs, right? We can use all these different people, but at the end of the day, it's really about education. It's about really looking and having an understanding of what you're trying to solve 
and taking the risk and doing it on your own. Because there's entrepreneurs and there's entrepreneurs. And sometimes the entrepreneurs, which are the people that work in corporations that don't take the risk, can sit back and do what they do best, while the entrepreneurs have to take on all those responsibilities. Well, see, this is the whole thing. This is one of the things that we, I, I would say teach, but it's almost preach uh, in Kobe. Because so many times entrepreneurs, and, and this is true for all of us, whether you're a solo entrepreneur, you're a small business owner, you're a seasoned entrepreneur with multiple offices and, and, and large staff, large group of employees, that we can do a lot of things well. That does not mean that we should be doing a lot of things well. Because if we can work in the place, some people call it flow, we call it genius, that place where it doesn't even feel like work, the rest of it you can delegate. And people have the hardest time delegating. So everybody who's listening, we have a delegation process. You can just DM me and just put in Jude at, at uh, just, say the just say delegation. And it gives you an opportunity to start thinking about how to delegate. And particularly solo entrepreneurs, they say, well, it's expensive to hire people. There's so many different ways you can work with people now. You can have VAs so that you're not really having to have an office space for everyone. VAs, there's so many people that can help you automate and and getting rid of some of those. Think about the, and actually we'd have you make a list of what doesn't make you money, what doesn't bring in revenue, and what do you do, like to do best? And there are some people we know who are so successful at this that it actually costs them money their business money if they are still working in the business all the time and not out pursuing bigger opportunities. So I'm glad you mentioned the people aspect of it, Sean, because that is crucial in putting the right people in the right positions. When people say, well, I've tried delegation, but it didn't work. Well, there's maybe a couple of reasons. Were you really ready to give up control? That's one. Number two, did you really explain in depth so that the person who you are hiring understood what the, the job position is? And three, are you trying to force people into work that is not their area of what we call genius? You want to work in your genius so that it doesn't feel like work, and then you want to be able to help people who are with you, who you're delegating, to work in their genius. So I'm glad you brought that up, Sean. And let's move now and welcome Christy. I know you're here, and I'm trying to find you on this. Uh, she was here. Is she still here? Christy, are you here with us? Maybe, maybe she's not. Maybe she's popping back. Okay, so let's talk then a little bit about, Sean, one of the questions I didn't ask you is that I don't know what your main business is. I run um, a company called Bequest Management. It is a financial management that has maybe four arms onto it. A lot of it is based around financial literacy and creating access for entrepreneurs. I work with a lot of NFL players that are transitioning from the game into the corporate world or franchisees or whatever it might be. Um, I give them the skill set um, to be able to meet people like yourself that are coaches and have the understanding of how businesses are ran. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the things that I focus on is that any athlete, for the most part, has worked in a team environment. And we understand what it is that all the moving parts, if they don't work together collectively, we're not going to move the ball or we're not going to make moves or score touchdowns. So I am very biased of military people. I'm very biased of athletes because we understand the concept. And the concept is simply this. I know that they would do it for me. And when you start to hire people, you have to really do a background check and understand uh, what kind of person that you're hiring. Because if you have good people on your team, as I said, brands are people, um, collectively you create a culture and that culture 
creates a community and therefore you are going to execute much better. So bequest management is something that does that for non-athletes, um, startups, uh, anyone that is looking for financial management to be able to create access to uh, uh, solve a lot of their uh, you know financial goals. Yeah, and people don't think about that often about about whether the, whether it's a loan or it's investors. And right now, one of our clients in uh, Kobe is is he just got a second series of investments, and that's is pretty exciting. And that's allowing them to move from thirty employees to fifty employees. And so I think that's the financial portion of it, part of it, is, is so much a part of it, and people don't always think about that, Sean, when they're getting started. Virgilia, let's talk about, if we could, on your, because you're, you're, you've been known so much for your, well, because it's your, your, your global business branding, and you gave us three good examples. I want to talk about the mindset change of people thinking of themselves as the brand. I, really, we, we see a lot of people struggling with this. We hear it on, on Clubhouse. Uh, some people want to be behind the scenes. And, and maybe if you're the CEO of the company, maybe it is not your nature to be out in front like a, like an, a, an Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or, or Jeff Bezos. But someone needs to be the face of the company. How do you prepare your clients to become that face? I mean, we talked a lot about, you know, what, what they need to do in terms of social media. But in terms of the mind shift of beginning to say, hey, wait a minute, this is my company or this is my my position in this company to represent this brand. How do you how do you help with that mind shift? So it's it's interesting, um, Jude, because I would say prior to pandemic, it was quite challenging, right, to have um, the face of the company being the CEO itself or the founder. Sometimes they are reluctant. What has happened, um, I would say, for the last few years anyway, we started to witness a cult of personality being exacerbated across social media platforms. Uh, during pandemic, the cult of personality became even more potent on multiple levels. So I believe people realize that if they don't go out there and put themselves out there, people don't want to do businesses with a business. They want to build that trust level with a the person they see, they hear. They also want to connect emotionally with certain traits of their character, common hobbies. I would say one of my favorite personal brands in the way she portrays, she's the face of the company, Sarah Blakely. She is one of the incredible entrepreneurs out there who's able to highlight her greatness as a human being, as a mother, as a wife, as a, a tremendous boss, but at the same time, her ability to scale a business, right? And I believe like right now, more and more because of the pandemic, we've been so disconnected from doing business in person, people had no choice. Do I still have clients who are reluctant to it? Absolutely. I actually work with a couple of doctors who are tremendous in their field and they don't want to be the face of the brand. In this case, you have to either have a brand ambassador or multiple brand ambassadors that are able to highlight uh, this capability or your business and also the value and connect emotionally with followers, with consumers, patients, if you're a doctor. But I would say moving forward, we have to um, take into um, consideration the accountability factor. You can no longer run a business the way you ran a business two years ago, five years ago. The world is changing rapidly around us. And if you don't want to have a digital presence today, two years down the road, you will regret it. Unless you prepare someone to take the reins. I do have a client in real estate. He's very successful. He's been successful his entire life. He said, I don't want to be the face of it, but my son, you have to talk to him. 
It took me about two months to convince the son to take the reins and actually be the face of the company. And now he's happy he did it. So sometimes I think as a branding strategist or consultant, you also have to take leadership. It's very easy for, you know, to tell people what they want to hear. But ultimately, if you're looking out for the well-being and success of the corporations you work with, you have to sort of become a little bit more, I think, stronger in your approach. But again, it has to be done either by the CEO and founder or someone who's the face of the company. However, I have to say the reason some of the most successful companies in the world had a face, like when we look at Elon Musk, Coco Chanel, these people had the courage to step in the high, in the spotlight. That's why to these days they have longevity because people fall in love with people before they fall in love with a product or with a service most of the times. So that's why Apple to these days is successful, right? We fell in love with Steve Jobs' turtleneck, with his glasses, with his vision. So I would say if you have longevity, you sort of have, if you want longevity, you, have, you sort of have no choice. But again, it's everyone's call. And of course, we have to give people the flexibility and opportunity to make a decision themselves. Now, that takes me to another point of authenticity, because that's a, a very big topic. Authenticity has been been a topic for a long time. And I come out of the Midwest, so I just call it the, the real deal. I'll say, oh, yeah, he's a real person or she's a real person. And people, I say, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, the, the upscale word is authentic, but I just call it plain real. And here's the advantage of real. First of all, especially when you are in a spotlight, and if you're in, on television and you're on camera every day, five days a week, live audience, that audience gets to know you very, very well. And they get to know you behind the scenes because they see how you are handling different people, different situations, how you react when the unexpected happens, a set falls down or, or whatever. And how you react to that is that real vision, that real person. And so I know Elon Musk, and we've talked about him today, and he, when, he, when he did Saturday Night Live this year, Many of his advisors, including his PR team, from how I understand it, advised him not to do Saturday Night Live. That generated so much publicity, so much conversation. And, and he is a bit of a showman, which I think adds to it. I think anybody who, who is a leader and has the showmanship quality of it, uh, that's, a, that's a real advantage. But I realize not everyone comes that way. And sometimes it can be learned. And sometimes, as we said, we pass it off. But I do know that from personal experience, we had the opportunity to work with the vice chair of Credit Suisse, and he did not like speak, speaking. He did not like being on these international stages, introducing everyone, <clears throat> excuse me, at all their conferences and the main client events. So anyway, they sent him to me to work on presentations, speaking, uh, rapport building, all of these skills. And I must tell you, the first session, I thought this is really going to be, I don't think they paid me enough to, <laughs> to, to, to do this assignment. But after the first session, and he began to see himself improve, and just a four-hour period, we had, we had several of those lined up for him. In the first four hours, he could see himself improve dramatically. And that opened his mind, that mind shift, to think, this is possible. My point here is so often we don't try something because it is taking us out of our comfort zone, and we think we can't do it. And then when we put ourselves in that position of vulnerability to open up to learn, that's when the magic happens. And so for most of us, there are some things that we encourage people, we encourage our clients, don't try to learn. If technology's not your jam, mess, maybe you could build a computer, but if that's not what you want to do, buy one. I mean, I have friends who can put computers together like it's a hobby for them. But if that's not your thing, or going down these rabbit holes to understand all the technology, find someone who loves that. And then you get to work in what we call your genius. So you are 
not even feeling like you're working. And you talk to people like Larry King, Regis Philbin. These people had, these were icons. They had staying power because people got to see them every single day, all week. They really got to know them. And, and they weren't the same, by the way. Oprah, Barbara Walsh, all these are very different personalities. But they found the audience that loved them. And when you have Larry King's broadcasting career, I think seated almost to 60 years or longer, that's staying power. Regis, 50 years, staying power. Oprah, with her network, staying power. Because we get to see the real you. So both Sean and, and Virgilia, just chime in on this. But yeah, I, really, I'd, lo I'd love to talk about that. Question, John, I haven't asked the question yet. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Question. That's okay. Just hold on just one sec. I was just going to say, chime in on this where you see the opportunity, both with your in your work, how people relate to you, and how you see this advantage to the clients you are helping. Please go, Sean. Sorry about that. That's um, the it's no, a conversation, get, darling. Get, people interrupt in conversations, and that's what a conversation is. So take yeah. it away. Well, I, I look at um, this word authentic. I mean, it's probably one of the most used words on Clubhouse. And um, for whatever reason, I get bothered by it because uh, I'm from the Midwest, too. I'm from the most middle place that you can be. I'm from Kansas. And I lived in New York City for 30 years. And um, when we think about the word authentic, it does mean real, right? That, that's what it really means. But we also need to understand that we evolve as people. Right. Um, I am not the same person that I was at 22, nor am I the same person that I was at 32 or 42. I am 52 going on 53 and I have changed. And so when I think of what being authentic is, it's exactly what you said. It's how you react to a, a really, really bad situation. Um, for me, um, you know, when I even hire people, you know, the first thing that I do is I go through a list of things that really, really are important to me. Um, I try to hire leaders versus me being the leader. I think that's really important for any entrepreneur out there. Um, and I always ask any person that I hire something as simple as this. Are you able to articulate and be as detailed on the negative things about yourself versus the positive? Because what that does is, and, and I want you to understand the depth of this question, it lets you know that that person has self-awareness. The other thing that I ask is, what are your self-perceptions of the way other people see you? And when people can start to articulate, you're digging into something that they don't want to address or they've never had to address. And I think for me, um, I, I know that there's a perception. You look at my page and, and there's all these things that I didn't want to be associated with because I was probably the smartest in my class. But in the culture in the Midwest, football was something that gave me access because people liked it. What if I told you I didn't even like football, but I was good at it? And it allowed, afforded me to become a millionaire. It afforded me to open doors. It afforded me to come to New York City. So people looked at me as a football player and it was a stigma that I hated. So a lot of times when you're going through this, when people start to say, be your authentic self, you're growing into who you're going to be. But how you respond to something badly is how people will see you. Because it's never really about the action that took place. It's about the reaction. And that's how people are going to want to follow you. That's how people are going to view you. And that's how people are going to say, I want to work with this guy. And I think a lot of times we don't understand that. And that's creating culture. And I believe that culture literally will 
eat strategies lunch. People come with these strategy plans. You got to have good people, as you said earlier, put them in the right position and be willing to learn because I don't know everything, right? I don't know as a, as a CEO, I do not know everything. So it's important to be able to have good team members and have the ability to understand that this word authentic is really about who you are, but more importantly, how you react to problems. Yeah, exactly. You know, crisis, and, and, and you, know, you know that we, we've seen this, the symbol, I'm sure, the crisis can mean, Chinese symbol, it can mean, it can mean opportunity and people who there's been a lot of opportunity even in COVID as we've seen how some people have have thrived with COVID and businesses that have opened and are now in franchise already. I mean, it's been amazing what has happened during COVID when people had that 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 downtime, so to speak, from the daily the daily activity when they could step away from their business. Which, by the way, it's not my quote. I think it belongs to Richard Branson. Creativity comes from play. So we also encourage you to have play in your business and have that built in, not just for yourself, but for your employees, your staff, your team, and even if it's a team of one, uh, to build in that play and to be able to step away from your business. I create processes, I'm not even thinking about it, but walking on the beach, because Kobe's very process-driven, which to your point, Sean, without process, it's very, it's very difficult to be as productive or to make the profits that you can without process so that your team is on the same page and you're not reinventing, as that expression goes, the wheel every single day or with every single new new hire or new a partner or new assistant. I wanna, I'm gonna get uh, Virgilia to weigh on this then I'm gonna ask some of our mods too, to, to if they have got some questions. Virgilia, you wanna give some thoughts on this, please? Sure, uh, thank you so much. Authenticity, it's, it's really a great topic because it has been overly used, misused and abused across social media platforms. And in my view, authenticity is ability to take inventory of our strengths and weaknesses, capitalize on our strengths, minimize our weaknesses, also have the ability to have thoughtful disagreements. If we don't, if we feel a certain way about something, we should be able to voice that. Very often, I think uh, leaders are scared to be perceived as too tough or too straightforward and they keep quiet. I believe it's very important to articulate how we feel because this is going to connect us with our power circles. If people cannot accept a thoughtful disagreement, you don't want them in your circle. You, de you don't want them on your team, right? Also, the ability to uh, have accurate self-assessment. That means, again, taking inventory of who you are, how you can better yourself, but also ability to truly be who you are at the core. Um, Sean is actually my business coach and we have multiple things in the works and I would say the reason I connected with Sean this summer is based on our mutual passion for fashion. He was wearing a red suit. You know, it was this party, everybody was wearing white and black and he was wearing a red suit. Right there, The because of our authenticity, my passion for fashion, his passion, I was able to identify one of the greatest business coaches I've ever had. So don't be afraid to be who you are. Stand out if this is who you are, if a fashion is your power, utilize it, right? Don't be intimidated by any societal factors or, or, or the way people pressure you. Just be who you are and you will be able to gather around you the most incredible teams, the greatest success, and I would say probably the most important strategic partnerships as well. Yeah, and I'm going to come back to a couple more tips that I want to talk about in terms of process and, and more business 
uh, more business, real hands-on how-to. But before we do that, I'd like to open up to our mods on stage if you have any questions. And, and just please, if you do have a question for Sean or Virgilio or me, just please ask it. We would love to have you just flash your mic and, and let me know if you have something you'd like to ask. Uh, we would love to hear from you or anyone else, for that matter, who's on stage before we open it up to everyone. And so anyone who has a question, please ask. This is your opportunity. And I'm so happy to see so many of the mods here today. And if we don't have a question, I want to move back on to process because process is the all corporations have an SOP standard operating procedures. We have processes at Kobe. We have helped all of our clients put processes together because that is what saves you. And I mean saves you the, the productivity aspect of your business. And so many people will do the same thing. If it's a, if, it's, if you have to do something, say you're coaching someone to answer your phones, we have a system, a process for how to answer the phones. Now that may seem very simple, but that person, whoever answers that phone in a company, now most of us have cell phones today and people have a lot of our direct dials. But if you have a company and people are answering your phone, any kind of a call center or your office or your, your law firm, the person who answers that phone is your public relations. So it's essential that that call sets the tone before the caller is transferred to you or to another department. We have processes so that we do not have to do, if it's a repetitive task responsibility, why not create a process? People say, I don't have time. And I say, oh, do you have time to keep doing it over and over and over? We don't. So when you were talking about, when we were talking about getting the right person in the right position, that's crucial along with, with productivity. The other part is crucial is knowing what business you are in. And we call it the clarity process. And yes, you can DM me on that too because we have it. The clarity process that we are using from our Master Kobe playlist. Clarity, what business are you in? And boy, this is a good exercise, everybody. You think you may know what business you're in and maybe you're right on target, but maybe you're not. And how do I know this? We have done it as a, as a process. Before I give any processes to my Kobe members, I create them first. And I worked on these processes for two years before we even launched. So I was pretty serious about it. Before we do a process, we work them out and we try them. And one of my processes is, I thought I knew what, I, what business I was in. And then I started reading my, these beautiful testimonials, or I'd get an email or a handwritten note, and of course now we do them with video. I thought all this time, because of my TV background and interviewing everybody and speaking on stages, I thought I was in the communication business. Well, yes, it turned out I am in the communication business, but when I started reading all these takeaways and letters and notes, and we, they had a common theme, and it was my leadership has improved. My connectivity has improved. I'm producing greater results. I am more effective. I'm more confident. And it was kind of like a PS. And yes, my speaking has improved and so have my presentations. I took a look at all of those all those responses and I thought, communication, leadership, communication, leadership. We twisted, turned, upside down, spend, spent time on it, talked to marketing people, and we took us from the communication to leadership transformational leadership, CFO made CEO. We will go in and make that happen. The reason clarity is so important, and this really came home to me, reading a book about the Disney experience, and people would say at first blush, what business do you think that Disney's in? And I'm not talking about the film industry and their, and their TV. I'm talking about their amusement parks, and people usually say amusement park. 
Well, what they thought in the very beginning is, Disney, we are not in the amusement park business. We are in the experience business. That changes the whole attitude. It changes how you brand. It changes how you market. It changes your client perception. Uh, the, the CEO of Rolex was being interviewed by a reporter. And I, I read this in, in uh, I don't know, his biography or the Wall Street Journal somewhere. And he's, the reporter had said to him, so, well, you're in the watchmaking business. And he corrected the reporter and said, no, no, I'm in the luxury business. I am in the luxury business. Do you see the mind shift change in how people perceive in your language? So let's talk about language for a minute. And, and that might be your, your, your jam, uh, and obviously yours too, Sean, any of us who are entrepreneurs, anybody on stage. But let's talk about the language of how we talk about our business for Julia. I would say the language has to be very much synchronized with what we stand for, again, with our expertise, credibility. And now, uh, are you speaking, Jude, about the language we utilize to communicate our services or the language we utilize to communicate with our consumers and our audiences? Well, actually, both, because how we talk, how we talk, our language, our word choices mean everything. But the other part of it, what I'm getting at is that when you're explaining on your on your social media, which you've talked about today, or you're explaining on, on a, in a video, or you're explaining to a potential client, or you're speaking, the language that we choose that that off that sets the tone for, as I said earlier, for the for the phone call, the, for the for the perception, for the mind shift of what our work is. And so I'm just saying how we position. The question is is positioning the language both to our potential customers. Our social media, the language, I just wanted to talk about how the language builds the brand and vice versa. Sure. I actually, I'd be happy to chime in here. So when I started to work at Versace, I remember the first week of training and the trainings at Versace back in the day were very serious, right? It was just no joke. You'd show up for the trainings, you'd take a test and so on. So I remember they used to tell us every day you are on the red carpet the way you dress, the way you speak. We were actually encouraged to utilize a particular language and to have such tremendous product knowledge. And the product knowledge had to be highlighted to certain terms. You would not sell a watch and just call it watch with diamonds. It would be a ceramic watch, automatic ceramic watch with DVS1 diamonds. So I would say what I did learn early in my career is to be, to be very specific, have a tremendous product knowledge, and ensure that that is being communicated and articulated in a way that it builds trust with the consumers, with the followers, right? If you know what you're talking about, it's great. But if you articulate it in a very eloquent way, this is what builds that credibility factor even further and enhances our ability for people to trust you, to feel like they are talking to an expert. Now, the, the second element that comes into discussion is the emotional, our emotional ability to connect with others, right? And here, the empathy element comes into the mix. And Gary Vaynerchuk, another favor of mine, he talks very highly about empathy and the importance of kindness in our verbiage, right? It's not what you say is how you voice your um, your services, right? And I would say sometimes there's a struggle when you know a lot, you have the tendency to also utilize a very upscale verbiage. We also have to take in consideration that not every, typically our clients do not understand, you know, very, uh, I don't know, uh, sophisticated terms in branding. It's not their job. So we have to, I think, um, uh, compartmentalize and also 
customize the way we address audiences depending where we are. Our area of expertise, who we are, and our credibility factor doesn't change. However, the vehicle of communicating will change depending where we are. If I'm on an Instagram Live and I notice that my audiences are people from Clubhouse, I might be a bit more technical. If I notice that my audience is a bit younger, I'm going to aim to inspire them to create tremendous brands. If I'm a TEDx conference, then over there, I will highlight my expertise at its highest. So I would say we have to factor in different um, variations, uh, where we are, the circumstances, how we position our business, who our audience is, but even more so the cultural and, and global spectrum where we position our business. So it has to be, we have to have the ability to be very versatile and also pay attention and listen, which most of the times probably, you know, we have the tendency to always talk, but I think listening is very important. And once you start listening to your audiences and consumers, you will find the right way, the vehicle to communicate properly. You know, you hit on one of my favorite topics uh, inadvertently. We weren't talking necessarily about listening skills, but how everyone talks about, and myself too, uh, that we all talk about asking questions, asking really good questions. And there is an art to asking good questions. But here's the thing I've noticed is that people often don't listen to the answer. And so that's really cool. I mean, that when you, when you brought that up just now, the Agreed. best part. Yeah, the best part of your of your questions is if you ask the question, that starts the conversation. But listening to the question, to the answer to your question, that's what builds the conversation, and that's more likely how you can build rapport with your with your with your potential clients, with prospective clients, uh, wherever you whatever meeting you're in. Listen to the answer and build on that. Don't just go to the next question. And we see a lot of people do this. They'll say, oh, that was amazing or that was wonderful. And then they go to another question and you think, wait a minute, I just left. I just said something really pretty profound here uh, or maybe not. But maybe maybe there's some good, good information at, at any rate, whether you thought it was profound or not. Others may have. And I remember when I first went on television, they told me not to not to watch any other talk show hosts or any other newscasters. They said, we just want you to to be you back to that real word again. And they said, we just want you to be you. So, of course, what did I do? I watched everybody. Uh, and I thought, well, yeah, I'm a little bit like Larry King. I, I have that quality to be a good listener. Uh, I'm, I'm fast like Regis, but I don't have Regis's wit and and Oprah's energy and curiosity and, and uh, Barbara Walters way to get to those probing questions and not making people feel offended. I thought, but I have, a, I have more Jude tied into all of this. But what I watched was, and some who shall remain nameless, I watched some talk show hosts that did not listen to the answers. And that's, to me, what made Regis, Barbara Walters, Oprah Winfrey, Larry King such great, iconic communicators. They asked questions and they listened to the answers. So if anyone is listening to us right now and you have a question, we will listen to your question and we hope that you will listen to our answers. So flash your mic if you've got a question. If not, we're going to keep moving. And uh, Sean, did you, you want to say I, Yeah, I want to yeah, comment. Virgilia, yeah. great. I think she did a great job of covering, you know, something that's so specific, right? I think your question is how important the communication and the grammar and the feeling and creating safe spaces to make people feel that they were wanted and they belong. Um, I'll give you something that really resonated with me. My first year of law school, um, I wanted to call myself a good writer. And I remember the first law professor looked at me and he said, listen, the simplest writing is the most effective writing in law. And what I took from that is I looked at the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Post. The New York Post 
is literally written at a third grade level. It's for everybody to be able to understand. The New York Times, one of the best-selling papers in the world, is written at a sixth grade level. The Wall Street Journal, which is one of the most difficult papers to read, is written at a ninth grade level. So we need to think about who our audience is, who our consumers are, and how we are able to articulate what we're trying to sell, what services we're trying to provide, and how we do that and the tone that comes with that is everything. Because that's how you're creating a culture of how people remember your brand. Um, I, you know, and going back to, I think this is a very important too. I love the fact that you really implement processes. Um, I think for the most part in, in, in my business, um, I, I make sure that my team is efficient in being in understanding and clarifying what their job is. So many times you'll go into businesses and nobody really knows what they're doing. They might have a title on their business card, but they don't know what they're doing. Um, improve the quality of communication with each other within your business. So everyone understands if it's that weekly meeting um, where there's vulnerability, I don't understand this. And if you don't know something, it's important to say, I don't know. I'm telling every entrepreneur out there, don't act like you know, literally you will lose your business. If you don't know something, ask. I do it in front of interns, right? I have people that want to be in sports management, want to be in, in, um, in entertainment, and I hire kids. And what I do specifically as a CEO, as a 52-year-old guy, and I see other guys don't do this. When I mess up, I say, you know what? I messed that up. I messed that up. How do we fix this? And I say it amongst people that are younger than me. That's true leadership. And I think it's important that we communicate to everybody that we can make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. So I just wanted to leave that with the audience because I think it's really important and we don't talk about that enough. Thank you. Well, you know, to your point, and I think that this is the thing, and I love the word vulnerability, Sean. Uh, Jillian and I have talked about this before too, that the vulnerable, the more vulnerability that you can show, that lets your team know that they can also be vulnerable when they don't know something or they don't have the answer. And the most successful entrepreneurs and CEOs I know in corporate Fortune 500s, they want people around them who are smarter than they are. And, and the CEO, and this is the same thing, I think that the, one of the biggest reasons entrepreneurs fail is that they, they think they have the answers to everything. They don't listen to their teams. And, and some of the best ideas can come from a person who is not connected at all to the leadership team. But being open to express and hearing what people have to say, it also helps employees take ownership along with the business because they feel that they're not only being heard, but their ideas can be implemented. So they are part of the bigger picture. And when people can take ownership of their position and of the business, that's the kind of employee, that's the kind of team member, that's the kind of partners that we want. So I, I, I really love that we're touching on this subject. And, and Max, you were with us yesterday. I don't know if you want to uh, open your mic, and, and if you do, you know, want to say anything to us that because you had a conversation yesterday that I thought I forget now when we were talking about this topic, but topic, but you made a com you made a contribution. So, and again, anybody else, let's weigh in. If you've got some ideas on this and what's working for you, what's not, 
uh, questions about it, this is a great opportunity because we have Sean and Virgilia, and I am here to answer any of your questions. I get it. I get a text from uh, Jeannie or not Jean, from uh, Christy, and she had to pop out for something that came up in emergency, so she may or may not be back with us. But we would just, you know, if you get a chance to hear uh, Christy Bus talk about her skincare line, she's got a physical product, which is really interesting too, because I know some of the entrepreneurs do. So let's go back to, you know, we've talked about, we've talked a lot about delegation. We've talked about clarity. We've talked about your team. We've talked about the brand. We've talked about communicating the brand on social media with our with our branding architect here, Virgilia. Virgilia, let's weigh in on this part about, about the communication aspect of it because most of us on these platforms are, are we're, we're fairly, we're, we've been in the public, we've been on stages, we've been interviewed in the media or we've been in the media. What do you want to say to someone about having your voice heard through social media? I would say you have to customize your approach very carefully, Jude, because once people's perception has been made about us and our brand and the way we portray ourselves and we communicate, it's very hard to change that, right? So it's very important to sit down with yourself before stepping on social media platforms and identify precisely what impact do you want to make in the world and ensure that that message is communicated properly. If you are, let's say, in a particular business, ensure that you are communicating the values properly. Because the way we communicate, obviously, it has to have the expertise in it, it has to have the empathy, and also the ability to call to action. A lot of times we hear people talking and they talk and talk, but there's no call to action. There's no value in for the listeners or the consumers. So we have to be very, very articulated when it comes to communicating. That means we care, right? And a lot of times there, there are a lot of egos involved in our communicating skills. So I would say if we truly care about our audiences, about our consumers, about our strategic partners and so on, we have to find that verbiage and that ability to communicate at their level, right? And again, what I was saying a bit earlier, you also have to adjust the feelings, not only the way we communicate the words we are um, utilizing, but even more so the empathy element that has to come into discussion, right? The same customer that we speak with today, and we speak with the same customer or, or client a week later where they are going through a trauma traumatizing experience, the verbiage, the communication skills will change, right? So I would say factor in always the situation pay attention again it goes back to paying attention sense the energy in the room see where the person is coming from and of course what has been mentioned several times today listen right the moment i would say the the greatest communicators are at, at the core the greatest listeners right and another element that i would i would like to add the greatest communicators most of the times read a lot if you look back in history everybody from dr king who is one actually my favorite favorites dr martin luther king um, when he communicated it came from such an astute point of view because he was very well read right so depending where you are in what spectrum you are operating in be mindful of the fact that you should be educated in your field. If you're a social media influencer, make sure you know everything about your competitors. Communicate in a way that our audiences are able to reciprocate. If you work in fashion, make sure you know every fashion designer, you know every detail. If you're an entrepreneur operating, let's say, in a marketing space, make sure that everything that you say is up to the point. And it also coordinated with what happens on a global scale, on a national scale. So knowledge is power. So before you communicate, do your research and, and read and inform yourself so the information that you put out there also has the credibility factor attached to it. 
you know, I want to ask you something that you just mentioned as well when you first started to talk just now about the call to action. Can you give us an example of what you, uh, from your branding position, expertise, Virgilia, of a, of a, of a video or a, a text that is, is powerful and at least the components of it, but what you think is, I'm particularly interested in what you said about the call to action. Because I think this is missing in more posts, including my own, by the way. Um, I often post put, uh, post the information, the content that, that people need and can use, but I don't always call for the call to action. So could you give us an example of, of what you think is a good post, either for LinkedIn, uh, what Facebook, Instagram, or all of the above, and what you think is a professional call, professional and effective, I should ask, add call to action. I would say, Jude, we have to differentiate between monologue and dialogue. A lot of people are doing monologues. That means that you go on social media platforms and you highlight your expertise, you teach people. People don't want to learn from someone who doesn't have the, doesn't factor in the questions, right? So I would say move from monologue to dialogue, engage audiences, pretend you are on stage, you have audiences in front of you, and every piece of content you put out there initiates questions from the audience. Once you post that content, it could be something about strengths and weaknesses, like I posted yesterday, for instance. You ask the audience to chime in. What are your thoughts? What are your strengths? What would you like to highlight about your team that you feel it makes them stand out? So always communicate the value, and then ask the audiences to chime in. And I would say this factors in, obviously, the visual component of it, right? And that's why I said it's important how we dress as well, because sometimes people respond first to the visual component before they, they respond to uh, the message, right? So factor in all these elements and understand that this is a dialogue. Uh, I would say the ego comes into the equation here as well. The reason a lot of um, posts are missing the call to action, it's all about me, me, me. This is who I am, this is how amazing I am, what about our audiences, right? How are you going to add value and ask them to kind of answer to the value that you are offering out there? Do they agree with it? It could be very simple, like these are the strengths and weaknesses of my teams. What are yours? Who is the leader on your team that you think made an impact this month? Tag them, right? This is what Sarah Blakely, actually I mentioned her earlier, does tremendously well. She engages audiences with questions. At the end of every post, you see a question or a call to action. Message me, DM me, sign up for this. Uh, but that being said, one thing that I am totally against it is aggressive marketing emails. Those are call to actions that, that actually annoy audiences. So we have to be very mindful you know, and, and factor in what is it in for the consumers. If I send 10 emails a week, am I going to annoy them? I am going to stress them out. Am, am, am I going to burden? their inbox or am I going to send one email marketing a month they cannot wait to open that so be very mindful about also how much information you transfer it's transfer of power right and if the, the message the call to action doesn't have power in it and doesn't have an astute um, a sense of business or emotional connecting component to it then just don't do it so I would say that this discussion can continue forever but I just want to be respectful of everyone's time you know, I get it, but I'm really glad you said that because this is one of the reasons that we didn't do a lot of, we, we ask questions, obviously. <laughs> I come out of asking questions in talk shows. I, my mother said I came into the world asking questions. I'm not sure if that's true, but anyway, I like the value of a question. So we've done that for call to action, but we, we don't really say, and sometimes we say DM, DM me for this, especially things that we're giving out complimentary, like we mentioned today, our clarity and our delegation. We'll say, we'll say DM us for this, but that's what I meant about a, a, a call to action. And 
I, I guess that people are not offended by saying, you know, this is, but I know the question they're not because we get response on that. But I was just wondering when people, when you ask them to, or, or call the action of, you know, GME or set up a phone call or something, do people actually do that, right? We haven't done a lot of that kind of thing, you know, asking people to, um, you know, have the conversation on setting up a calendar or things like that. What do you think about that? I do see some people do that in their call, call to action. Can I just add something quickly, Jude? So I sure. think a lot of call to actions ask people for favors. You ah. basically, oh, DM me for a free. No, I don't want to DM you. What's in it for me? Mm -hmm. What about you take interest in who I am and what I have to offer? So do not ask in your call to action for people to give you a favor or offer, do you a favor. Ask them to highlight something that is valuable to them. And this is the differentiating factor. I'm sorry, I just wanted to make sure I, I reiterate that as well. Yeah, so so give us a call of how that would look like. That's something of value to them. Because if people say, generally, I know if I offer a DM, it's got value for them and there's no strings attached. But I don't know about other, you know, it's not like an upsell to them for something. It's like saying, hey, you want to get better at delegation? This is going to help you. You know, or you want to start thinking about delegation? This is going to get you thinking. So I, I just never felt comfortable with the call to actions that are about a sale, I guess, when somebody wants you to buy something. I've never, I've never responded to those when people when people make those kind of call to actions. I just wondered what your thinking is. And I think you covered it, you know, by asking the question and always something in the audience. And by the way, you know, that's not just on your social media. It's, it's for, for speaking, for whether you're speaking, you're at a potential client meeting, business meeting. It's always about, we say audience, and I say that loosely because the audience can be your viewer, your listener, your reader. It can be who's following you on social media. It can be on the, on the conversation with a potential customer, client. It is always about your audience. So I just use that term. And what I also encourage is to think about what people are hearing when they're, when they're hearing you, meeting you for the first time. And in other words, when I work with speakers and, and particularly CEOs and even professional speakers, they'll say, well, I don't need to prepare. I already know my subject. I already know my business. That's absolutely true. You probably do better than any of us ever will. At the same time, if people are hearing this information for the first time, is it clear? Is the, is the call to action clear? And, and, and it may not even be a call to action. When I'm speaking, I'm not motivating people to, to call me. I am motivating them to take action on what I've just delivered for them that's going to help them improve their lives, improve their business, improve their lifestyle, et cetera. So as we start to conclude today, I, I do want to ask Sean for a, a, a final thought here, if we can, Sean, because we're going to pop off shortly. And yes. Uh, final thought, I'd love to hear it. Virgilia, great job on that. Um, great questions. Um, I think, too, call of action is, is doing. I think that there's a lot of people that set up and talk about marketing and talking about all the things that they want to do, but they don't do it, right? None of this stuff can happen without doing it. You have to do it. And I, you know, I, as far as social media, for me, it's really about being vulnerable. Um, and I think that comes with the process of feeling good about who you are and not hiding behind something. Um, I'm willing to tell you right now that I filed for bankruptcy and I've also made millions of dollars, right? I couldn't have told you that at 42. So I think you have to really understand who you are. And my audience is 15 to 75, right? I have kids that follow me that I go to colleges and, and high schools throughout the country and I talk about leadership. And I have older people that are my parents' age. So um, what I'd like to leave with, though, is for everyone out there, owning your mistakes and showing that you have learned and evolved will always get you a second chance. Apologizing is the key step for any healing process, 
I believe that. I truly do. Especially when it, especially when it's sincere. You have to be sincere. When you mess up as a boss, be vulnerable and say, hey, I made a mistake. How do we fix this? As a team, let's, let's huddle up and figure out what we need to do to execute so we can move forward. And that's, I'd just like to say that. I think it's very important. Thank you. John, thank you. Good job. And, and thanks for being with us today. A lot of good information here. And thank you for sharing. Thank you for helping us learn from you as well. So I really am delighted you were here. Now, Ms. Virgilia, do you have a nice thought with all your wisdom here that you'd like to leave with us today? A thought that's going to make us think and act here. Uh, yes, hire a tremendous business coach that you resonate on multiple um, levels with. It's very important. I didn't understand the value of it. I had so many business coaches during my career, and I realized the most, the greatest success you are going to reach when people really listen to you as well. A lot of business coaches told me in the past, you know, oh, you cannot dress like that. You can't do this. You should do it this way. I will always reach the greatest level of success if I am me at the core. Right. And I, I, I was victim of many changes and transformations to my career as well, because we tried to fit in. Right. When I was in fashion, I was trying so hard to please and be a certain way when I went on my own. But at the core, we are going to reach the greatest level of happiness and success where we are, who we are in the unapologetically so. And for that to happen, we need the support system of business coaches, of team players, who appreciate who we are and don't try to change us. So build your power circle and make sure that those incredible individuals are backing you up and they don't try to change you. They just try to enhance the greatest strengths that you already have. Thank you. You know, that's the, that really is the value of a really premier coach is one who builds on strengths and helps you eliminate the blind spots or the weaknesses. Building on strength to me, is the key to success for all of us. Because back to my first word, which I love, I'm with Einstein on this. He believed everyone has genius. And so do I. So I thank you both for sharing some of your wisdom here today. Great to be with you, Sean. Great to be with you, Virgilia, and everyone who joined us on stage. Thank you for being with us. This is the Breakfast with Champions room. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.